I never know what to expect from you guys. Good job. I enjoyed that for sure. I don't know that I've ever heard a song about an ark before, other than like a kid's song. So that's that's pretty pretty awesome. Um, and you know, whenever we uh, read stories from the Bible, there's so much depth to them, and there's an endless amount of opportunity that God has to speak to us, both through his word and through the experiences that we have in life. And the message series that we're doing on God and and how it is that we believe in him, but there are things that we're troubled by or we don't understand. Uh, Many people who, as they think about God and try to connect with him, uh, struggle with uh, how it is that they come to know him in a very personal way. And there are a lot of people right now who have a, a sense that there is a God, but they, they wonder based on everything that they hear within the world around them, whether or not God truly does speak to people here on earth through something that we call the Bible. And if I were to tell somebody who was beginning that journey where they're asking themselves, how is it that I can come to know God as, um, as, as, I, as I know that there is a God in this universe in a way that is meaningful, in a way that is relational. Um, this is probably what I would, I would share. First of all, I'd begin with a cat story because it seems like cats are the bane of my existence. And many of you know that uh, I have issues with cats. It's a love-hate relationship. Some of you are aware that we had a kitten that came to our house a few weeks ago. And, and uh, my, my thinking the whole time was, he's just passing through. He's just passing through. And I, I, I'm glad to share that uh, we did find a home. And he's doing really well from everything that I can tell. But the one thing that I didn't share, perhaps, if I offered that at one point, was the byproduct of that experience. Now, the reason why cats and I sometimes are at odds is because the two that we have are lazy. And they also, um, you know, they, they also don't bring the best of who they are. And I thought it was kind of ironic whenever this kitten came and became a part of our family in a, in a, in a fostering manner, how the resentment and the anger and everything that cats do when you do something to disrupt the delicate equilibrium of their world. And that kitten was doing exactly that. He was the center of attention. Meanwhile, all we got were glares. But what was interesting is it kind of snapped them out of their, what I would say, their lazy stupor. And the one cat who typically doesn't do anything except run around and make chaos decided while this kitten was there that he was going to do something that I'm not sure that he's ever done before. He, he killed three rodents and made me aware that he was capable of ensuring that our property was safe from their trespass. I was amazed, honestly. I'm like, where'd that come from? Oh, you got a little perspective on life, didn't you? Some foreigner came in, disrupted your world, 
And now you've got to prove that you're worthy of being part of our world. Not a bad thing. It was a way to kind of stir him out of his, his, his stupor. But it was also a way of causing him to struggle a little bit so that he would come to his senses and do the right thing. The other cat, well, I, I, I think he probably weighs as much as the dog does. So I, I really don't have many expectations uh, the one thing that I noticed was this is a cat that never seemed to be able to purr. And while that's not a big deal, I, I just I have always thought it was odd. But the thing I noticed is after the cat was adopted out, the little kitten that we had, I noticed this cat began to purr, which told me that for whatever reason, it was stuck in some kind of attitude that didn't enable him to experience joy. And when the little kitten disappeared, he could not help himself. The joy was overflowing and he started purring. And what was so interesting was how a set of circumstances that were otherwise negative began to bring out the best of what those cats are capable of doing. Now, whether or not they maintain that resolve, the jury's still out, but I also know that if they don't, I know what to do. But I'm also a little afraid of doing it because I may get stuck with another cat with, his own, with their own set of problems. But it's interesting how when we have something to contrast our experience with, we see it in a whole new light. And I believe that if you were just to give an ordinary everyday person a copy of the Bible, they may or not be interested in what it has to say. But I also have found as a pastor that if you time it so that the circumstances in a person's life are of such a nature that they're hurting, they're struggling, their world is not what they thought it was going to be, and the answers that they typically could offer to the problems that they face were not sufficient. And they're beginning to ask the God question. Who is God? I see churches all over the place, and I wonder, who is this Jesus? And some people take it so far as to say, I don't know how to discover who God is without perhaps reading something. Now, I just want to share a little story about myself because I haven't always been a believer. And the thing that I know about myself is that, like so many people, like I would say everybody on the planet, we start out in this life with, with a degree of security and invulnerability and, and peace and contentment because our, our mothers and our fathers are surrounding us, they're providing for us, they're loving us, they're paying attention to us, and they're ensuring that we feel secure. But when the day starts that you are able to get out on your own and you're able to interact with other people and pretty soon you're going to kindergarten and you're going to first grade and second grade, you start to discover that that, that innocence that you had has to be covered up a little bit 
Because maybe you find that you're getting made fun of because of the type of shoes that you wear or what your hair looks like and you start to kind of retreat into yourself. Maybe you discover that people say hurtful and painful things to you and you're not used to that happening and that pain begins to cause you to to, to sort of retreat some more. However, because you want to engage, you find ways of protecting your soul. And for some of us, we've worked hard on, on, on something that the Bible calls our ego. It is our, our, our self that we project to other people that says, this is who I am. And maybe it was whenever I was in, in second grade and there was a girl sitting next to me who was very cute. And by the time third grade came around, I was, I was kind of mesmerized by her and I remember going and asking my dad, dad how can I comb my hair so that I can look attractive to this girl who doesn't even know who I am and you know my dad said well take some of this uh, some of this gel and put it in your hair and comb it back and uh, you'll look fantastic. So I did that and then I started the process of learning to act cool and project to other people around me a sense of being somebody different than I, who I really was inside. And these glasses kind of represent that persona who in the innocence of childhood just sort of developed this person that said, this is Leonard. But inside there was kind of another, there's just a soul saying, you need to, you need to protect me from the bullies. And when people get under your skin, you need somebody to, to, maybe, to, to, to maybe beat up on. And, and, and the whole experience of being a kid and facing struggle and challenges and opportunities and all of those things evolves into another level of play when you reach junior high. And when you reach junior high, you start thinking about the fact that you don't want to be that kid anymore. You want to be like the high schoolers. And you look at your life as, I want to become like them. And so you start, you start acting like them. You, you start wearing deodorant, even though you may or may not need it, depending on where you are at in your level of puberty. You start being very conscientious of how you look. And if you're a teacher or a camp counselor or somebody who's watching this behavior, it's the squirreliest thing you'd ever see because one minute they're that little kid and then the next minute they're trying to be the high schooler. And it is so confusing, but by the time you get to high school, you develop that a little bit farther and you are really cool. You are that guy that says, hey, how you doing? And, you know, it, it is all about projecting your ego out there while at the same time inside of you is your soul saying, I'm not sure about that. And as um, you go through that experience in high school, you have the intensity of many emotions. You have the opportunity to do adult things. And pretty soon your problems become increasingly complex. 
And maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't happen. You start thinking about the road ahead, about your purpose in life, about the things that you feel like you want to do for the remainder of your life, and your aspirations start to kick in. But along the way, you start to see something. That the things that you want and the way that you are, the gap between the two, they're has to be something that will help you to bridge that gap, to pull you into a place where you're mature, you're healthy, you have a sense of purpose, your significance, who you are, and what you are made to do, and how you view yourself begins to become a very serious topic of discussion with yourself and other people. And some people at that point or later points in life discover that the challenges become so insurmountable or they make mistakes that are so painful or they find themselves running with the wrong crowd long enough that they start to feel broken inside and they start to really have some issues maybe with depression maybe with anxiety maybe with the uncertainty of the future and as a young person those things become very acute maybe we get a little bit farther along in life and we're not really thinking about how God fits into that but eventually something happens we have a a, a crisis financially or we have a crisis in our marriage or we have a uh, an issue with health and it begins to occur that we need something stronger than just our ego to see us through this and if we're honest with ourselves we are in our soul saying that's where we need God and if you get so broken you're kind of like those cats it was all good until problems became insurmountable and it became difficult for us to to really see what we are called to do until we saw the pain of the moment and for people who are in that place they start to get honest and they start to ask themselves a question If there is a God, which I kind of feel like there is, how can I know him? And a lot of people, when they have that question, they'll pick up what probably they'll find in in their homes. Something like this, a Bible. And they'll say, yeah, that's been there for a long time. It belonged to my grandmother or it belonged to my parents. But it's never been anything that I've been interested in. And... At my house, uh, we had a Bible that looked exactly like this. It was an old King James Version. It was a white Bible. And it had a a, a zipper that enclosed it. And it just sat around our house all the time. And trust me, as a high schooler wearing sunglasses like that, that book was not interesting. But as a high schooler who was seeing his need for something greater than just the things that he could put together for his own life and project to others, that book started to become a distraction. And I remember just walking by it and thinking, what's different about that book than any other book? And one day, I picked it up. And if you look on the next slide, you'll see that there's a, there's a zipper that has a cross. And... I remember just unzipping this Bible and just opening it up. 
And the first thing that I saw were red letters that jumped out. And the only way that I can explain what happened to my soul in that moment was this. It just, it it, it lit a fire. And as I'm looking at those words and I'm reading it and I'm seeing that there is a Jesus who is repeatedly showing compassion to other people, I, I find myself drawn into this book like I've never been drawn into any book. Because there's a fire there that is fascinating. And maybe some of you are like me. You did go through a pyrotechnic phase where you liked burning things as a kid. And hopefully in the process no one got hurt and nothing really got destroyed. But this kind of fire was different. And whenever I approached the Bible it was very much like approaching a fire. And as I was thinking about how that, that book and my life intersected, I saw that fire begin, begin to grow. And the problem with fire is it has a lot of different capabilities for your life and mine. And, and one of them is, as you light a fire, you find that it, it's great, but then if you light the whole fire, you're like, holy cow, get away from me because I might get burned. And when, so when you, when you see it at first, you're curious. But then after that, you're a little concerned because as I started reading through the Bible, I not only see, saw a witness to the person of Jesus as those red letters described him, I also saw some things that were shedding light on what was inside of me that wasn't right that I really didn't want to talk about to the Lord. But yet that fire was sort of, it, it, it was sort of indicting. It was starting to refine. And, and in Jeremiah 23, 29, he describes it like this. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And when I, when I started reading the word, I honestly have to tell you, I put it down. And I stayed away from it for a while because I didn't like how penetrating it was to my soul. To, well, maybe I'll put it this way. I didn't like the fact that it was, it was knocking my ego around. It was telling me things that I didn't want to hear. But my soul was saying, but you need to hear this. And as I'm looking at this book, I'm frightened. Because it, it contains a power that is unlike any other book. But in time, my, my perspective changed. And I continued on with it. I persisted. And what I discovered is... It had the power to enlighten. It began to cast light on everything around me. It it provided a new filter by which I looked at the people and the circumstances and my own life differently. And Psalm 119 is all about that effect. And one part of it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. And so I got 
I started to get comfortable with this book. And I just began to spend more and more time with it. I began to surrender to its light and its fire. And what I discovered was it had my best interest in mind. The Apostle Paul, whenever he's writing in the book of 2 Timothy, a passage of scripture that has bearing on, on the message today, he says, look at my life, look at my example, look at my sufferings, look at all the things that I've gone through, look at my joys, look at all of those. And you'll notice that the reason why I am who I am and the reason why I, I can walk through all these things is because that word is in my heart. And he gives a personal example of how his relationship to the word has affected his ability to live as a human being. And so whenever I approach the Bible and other people ask me how I should approach the Bible, I tell them to approach it like you would a friend. Because I think the Bible is a lot like a friend. Now let's just think about friendship for a minute. If you break it down a little bit, uh, all of us like to have friends. We like to make new friends. And I, I would say that's how I approach the Bible. Now, a lot of people have said a lot of things about the Bible that, in their mind, have been pretty negative. Uh, they, they've cast disparaging remarks about what it is and, and what, it, what, what they say it pretends to be or what it, it offers that clearly it cannot do. And so the Bible kind of gets a reputation. And like many people that we know, sometimes <clears throat> we may meet somebody and prior to meeting them, somebody has said something to us like, you know that person, they've got some issues. And maybe they'll say a few things and they'll try to bias you against them. But I've always tried to have an open mind. And I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt until I have reason to think otherwise. I'm going to listen to what you have to say. If you're coming into my world and, and I'm coming into your world, I, I want to hear what you have to say. And for a lot of people that I've come to know, if what you say makes sense, I, I, I'm probably going to want to spend more time with you. And if you really just begin to resonate with that person, I, I, I'm guessing that that could evolve very quickly into a friendship. And so let's just move on in the progression of this thought. As I expand on that, if I'm going to spend more time with you, uh, let's go ahead and just move, move into the next thought. If you prove yourself trustworthy, I'll do what I can to solidify the friendship. I'm going to draw my own conclusions about you regardless of what anybody said. And then take what other people say into consideration if they have a contrary opinion. That's really how I honestly approach every friendship. And it's, it's really given me the opportunity to meet, to get to know, and then develop a, a lifelong um, uh, camaraderie with people. But there are some people who look at this word and they've heard so much about it. They've even had experts like university professors say, nah, that book isn't even relevant anymore. And so they just, they just say, okay, the experts and the authorities and other people say, don't go near this person. 
because this person is sketchy. Well, I've seen sketchy and I've seen the Bible. And there are a lot of places that people go to that are warned not to go to and they go there anyway and it doesn't do them any good. But what I found with the Bible is that it is like a friend. It is a way of beginning to connect to something that offers you something back. And the thing that I like about this Bible is that it actually is capable of introducing me to another more powerful friend. And you know who that is? That's God. The Bible as your friend is just a, really, in a lot of ways, a, 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 if you could define the Bible as a person, um, we know that the scripture says that, that all of it is God-breathed, capable of providing instruction and reproof and training and correction in righteousness, that we could be equipped for life. It offers that, that claim. Now, I've, I've had a friendship with this for 30 years. I've gone to school to learn about this. And what I've discovered is it's never let me down. But the thing that I've discovered even more, when I went to school, a lot of times the emphasis was learning about the Bible, believing in the Bible. But the real emphasis isn't believing in the Bible as much as believing in the one who's responsible for the Bible. So I don't worship the Bible. I give it a high degree of respect and reverence. But the Bible is not the thing I worship. God is who I worship. The Bible, however, helps me to know him. The Bible and I are on good terms because together we come to experience who God is. Now some people are so, and the reason I make that point, some people are so caught up in worshiping the Bible. And I saw this in school. There were experts in the Bible who didn't seem to have much of a friendship with God. There was a lot of pride. There was a lot of ego. There was a lot of theological this I'm the Bible scholar hey how you doing but it just ended there and the whole purpose of God's word is to light a match for your soul to illuminate everything that's going on there that wasn't created to be there and then to draw you into what it says so that it can light your path. And you can have wisdom for life. But the most important thing that it does is it's a signpost to the reality of our risen Savior. It is a reminder that we were created in the image of God and that God had spent his whole life or his whole, his, his, our, our, the whole existence of our humanity to draw us into a place where we can know him and love him and be who we were created to be. I can't convince you 
that the Bible is true. I can go through ways of a hundred reasons why the Bible is true or a hundred reasons why archaeology says the Bible is the case. But if I've already had a bias against it, I'll just find a hundred reasons why it's not or a hundred reasons why there's a contrary opinion. The best way that it works is if you have something going on in your life that's unsettling you and you need something from outside your life to come in, the best place to begin is here. And what this does is it leads you to a place like here. And what we do, hopefully, is lead you to him. That's what the Bible does. And some people may say, I believe in God, but I'm not sure about the Bible. And maybe the problem is, I'm not sure about the people who read the Bible. Or maybe the problem is, I'm not sure that the reputation of the Bible in the eyes of people who discount it is, isn't going to be a block between me opening up my heart and allowing it to come in. There's only one way to read the Bible. And it's like this. It's a posture of humility that says... If I want to get to know you, I got to listen to what this says. Now, a lot of people in here are good listeners. Some of us aren't. And the reason why we don't listen well is because we're too busy thinking about our own thoughts in our own head. And what God is saying is come before the word, humble yourself, listen, and it'll never let you down. I can try to convince you intellectually all day long about the merits of this book, but the reality is the contrasting situation of your circumstances, maybe they're painful right now, maybe they're disturbing, maybe you have challenges that you've never seen before, maybe your problems are insurmountable. And I would say that if you humble yourself before this word and you listen to it, it will point you in the best direction possible. And so my challenge at the end of this message is simply this. If you are a believer, continue to humble yourself before the word and allow it to speak to your heart. Be charitable rather than skeptical. And when you are, you'll begin to hear God, the person of God, Speak through it. And maybe the whole God thing is new for you. And if that's the case, perhaps the season of life that you're in is what has drawn you into this place. And if you're here and you listen, I sincerely believe you will find God and he will speak to you.